0: There was one point at about 9:40 when we had been locked out for an hour and 10 minutes this morning that we were trying to figure out where the best spot on the lawn would be to have church. We thought maybe this area by the flagpole would be nice, but then you could cut off the wind if you went in the back. Maybe the soccer fields would be away from Potomac Station Drive. I was actually kind of looking forward to uh, worshiping outside, but this is nice, little amplifications, never hurt anybody. Uh, Good. A few years ago, I read a book called The Rapture of Canaan, Uh, Oprah Book Club Selection, not part of that book club, but read it, and uh, not a Christian book not a recommendation from me uh, I just read it and it was a it's a kind of a fascinating book the protagonist sorry I was an English teacher I uh, can't just go say main character the protagonist of the story is Nina who is a young uh, preteen or just getting into her teens girl whose grandfather is the pastor of the church of fire and brimstone and God's almighty baptizing wind. The whole church lives right together in a commune. Uh, There are very strict clothing rules. Uh, No drinking, obviously, no card playing. uh, No using doctor's medicines. Certainly no pop culture. uh, Very strict and separatist although she has to go to the public school because this was 30 years ago or so but very she's not allowed to dress out for gym class so uh, it kind of follows her she actually says about her grandfather in the book she says i guess you could say the church doctrine came from grandpa herman's own sensibilities he used the bible of course but only the parts he liked He had a habit of altering the verses just a little to make them match his own beliefs. And Grandpa Herman decides the fines and the punishments for breaking the rules. Uh, Early on in the book, Nina forgets to say her prayers, and so she is penalized by having sand spurs in her bed that will stick into her back and remind her of uh, Christ's crucifixion. Uh, Later one of the men of the church comes home drunk And he is They dig a grave for him and make him sleep in it To remind him that the wages of sin Is death Eventually Nina is somewhat Paired off with a young man And they're uh, Expected to get married eventually But in the meantime they're prayer partners Well She gets pregnant And They think that they're going to run away because they're pretty scared what's going to happen to them. But before they can do that, James, this young man, takes his own wife. Nina is forced into a cage and dunked in the lake as punishment. But she claims that Jesus is the Father. She's somewhat deluded herself through all this, and she says that this child is of the Lord. No one believes her at the time until the baby is born with its hands fused together. And then Grandpa Herman decides, he changes his mind and decides that Nina has born the new Messiah and that the child will be the leader of God's people as the world ends. Again, not a recommendation, but it was a fascinating (laughs) plot. And how easy is it for us to find Christians like Grandpa Herman, who will tell us exactly how our spiritual lives should look. Is there anybody here who hasn't had the experience of someone pressuring you to make your life look a lot more like theirs? I'm not talking about hearing good, godly counsel from the scriptures. I'm talking about Grandpa Herman and others taking what sounds like good, clean, godly living and making that a rule for everyone around you? How do you respond to someone who wants to press their non-biblical rules on you? And how far should you go in pressing your Christian convictions of behavior on them? Let's take a look at Colossians 2, 16 through 23 to get some wisdom from Paul. Paul. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a Sabbath or a new moon. I'm sorry, regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Lord God, give us wisdom. As we look at this passage, there is so much in here. Let us dive in and find out what Paul is communicating to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these words. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage, with any, with any passage that starts with the phrase, Therefore, we need to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? You guys know that phrase? What has come before this that Paul is making conclusions from? Remember the previous section had taught about the victory of Christ over the rulers and authority. God has canceled your record of debt, nailed your sin to the cross, to Christ on the cross and defeated every spiritual power against you. If you remember, if you heard Jed's sermons last week, he talked about the Romans parading the conquered people through the streets and that was the imagery is that God parades, he puts on on display the evil spirits that he conquered and the judgment against you. But Paul is saying now that there are people who want to undo that victory and make the Colossians submit again to the law and to extraneous spiritual experiences that have nothing to do with their salvation. And what we're going to see in this passage in a few different ways is that any attempt to add to the finished work of Christ on the cross inevitably subtracts. We've talked a lot in this sermon series about how easy it is to have a Christ-plus religion, a, a Christ-and, and fill in the blank, whatever it is, that you think needs to be added to what Jesus has done for salvation. And so I see that in here, and it's, we can split up this text in three areas. And the first two verses Paul is rebuking those who tried to impose this formula, Christ plus the Jewish law. 16 and 17, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the first way that these false teachers tried to undermine the Colossians' salvation was by making them submit to the Jewish laws again. The first phrase in questions of food and drink, I think to our modern ears, sometimes we think, oh, gluttony, alcoholism, Um, and that may be implied there, but I think we're talking here about the the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And then the next phrase, the festivals, new moons, the Sabbath, these are the, the ceremonial feasts and celebrations of the Jews. Uh, it, it breaks up kind of nicely. The festivals are, were the yearly observances. The new moons were monthly and the Sabbaths were weekly. And all over the, the New Testament, particularly Galatians, we're introduced to what Paul calls the Judaizers or the circumcision party. Those who believe that, okay, faith in Christ is good, but you need to hold The Old Testament law, too. At least the ceremonial law was still necessary to be truly saved. New Gentile converts had to become Jews in addition to becoming Christians. So, in making sense of Christianity that grew up out of Judaism, a lot of people that thought that the old laws still had to be followed. I don't think they understood Jesus' teachings that he was the new wineskins and that the old wineskins couldn't hold the new wine. The Old Testament laws, particularly the ceremonial laws, belong to a former age. Verse 17 explains that they were the shadows meant for the age before Christ came. But once he came, there was no reason to keep them. When you have Christ who fulfills the law, you don't need the shadows and the things that point to him. And secondly, the the Old Testament laws aren't very helpful for keeping us from sinning anyways. Why? Because they were never helpful in keeping people from sin. They were a tutor to show people how ingrained their sin was. And to point them to Christ, who alone has the power to free them. Now what I'm not saying is that the Old Testament and the New Testament are disconnected because they are very much connected. We believe in the covenant theology that binds them and that the New Testament is the revealing, the consummation of the old. And I'm also not saying that the Ten Commandments aren't still applicable we're not gonna say that. In fact, I think there's good evidence here that even the Sabbath that, that Paul's talking about, some commentators think, okay, well, that's one of the 10. We don't have to follow because Paul made it pretty optional. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's connecting the Sabbath actually with the Sabbath that happens around the feasts. Um, but I think he is saying there's, there's a lot of latitude in how you keep the Sabbath. But the Ten Commandments themselves, we're not throwing that out. We're not making that optional. But helping to see the confusion that happened as Judaism passed into Christianity. And as Christianity grew, there was still this, well, what do we need to keep? What do we still need to do? And Paul says, you don't need to keep that. It was actually okay for new believers to keep these dietary laws or the old festivals. But now they had something that guided their choices in those matters. The freedom of the Christian conscience. They could decide for themselves. And that's why Paul says, don't let anyone condemn you or pass judgment on you because of how you do it. Of course, in in other places, in 1 Corinthians, Paul called those who still kept those laws weaker brothers, right? Right? because their consciences were still tender. They, they hadn't found the freedom to break from those things. If they knew meat had been sacrificed to an idol, they couldn't eat it, because that's what the Old Testament said. And then Paul urged the stronger brothers who found freedom, and, and that didn't trouble their conscience, he said, listen, don't destroy their conscience, though. Be sensitive to your weaker brothers. The next two verses show... That believers should not be condemned or bullied spiritually. They don't have the same spiritual experiences as others. This is the formula of Christ plus spiritual experience. Uh, Let's, verse 18 and 19, let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up, Without reason, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul says that the mystic who exalts his own experience often has lost focus on what really matters. Look at what they were teaching in verse 18. Asceticism is often thought of as simple living. Uh, Other translation of this passage call it self-denial, self-abasement, or even humility or false humility. And the irony is that this humility and self-denial are quickly followed up by pride. What the Greek reads in, in Paul's words here, being puffed up. Look at me, I'm so humble. Aren't I great? Exalting in that extreme humility and ascetic lifestyle. Perhaps uh, these are separate, maybe they're combined, the asceticism and worship of angels. The, we're not sure exactly what worship of angels means. Different Different commentators that I read said, hey, some of it's, meant they were literally bowing down to angels in substitute for Christ because in humility they thought, well, Christ is too exalted for me. I I have to worship a lower being. Well, that's false humility and a false gospel wrapped up in one. Maybe it's not quite that. Maybe it's worshiping like an angel, if we took that of like that. Maybe it's worshiping... uh, just spending, maybe Paul is being very sarcastic and saying you guys spend so much time on this trivial talk of angels in heavens and heavens, uh, that you end up worshiping just knowledge for knowledge's sake. But regardless, they're bordering on idolatry, and they're they're being distracting, distracted from worshiping Christ. And then he mentions visions. Maybe that's. Together with the angels as well. We know almost all false religions and cults start with visions, with special revelations to the founder of these groups. And apparently, the false teachers had visions that they wanted to go on and on about. Let me tell you what I learned this special knowledge that none of you have. And it's not just that the false teachers. Colossae practice these things but that they use them to disqualify the other believers they insisted that you needed these things to truly be saved or to truly have the full Christian life and I think the common element with these higher walk movements is that the focus is so often on me and my experiences And the tragedy of elevating these lesser parts of Christianity, focusing heavily on what I would call distractions from the main teachings of the gospel is that they lose sight of Christ. Look what he says in verse 19, not holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the whole body grows with with a growth that is from God seems to be saying that the false teachers aren't even really in the faith. They're not connected to Jesus. They've started something else. But I think it also implies that they are disrupting the unity of the body. Because if they weren't, there would be great growth. And people would feel more knit together. And when you distract and judge and take people away from the central gospel of christ you pull the church in all kinds of different directions that's a dangerous thing so the jewish laws can't be added to salvation mystical spiritual experiences can't be added and finally strict rules for living can't be added verses 20 through 23 show us christ plus strict rules for living if of the flesh, the legalist believes that through strict discipline, avoiding worldly temptations, that they can achieve spiritual wisdom. Uh, maybe this took a lot of different forms then, uh, wearing sackcloth and ashes on a regular basis, maybe painful fasting, penance, uh, different ways to. You know, hurt your body, to keep yourself from sinning. I think it's interesting what verse 21 says. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. What does that sound like? Isn't that how we talk to infants? I mean, that's how we talk to a new baby. Because they're not old enough to understand why or why not. They just need to hear don't. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't go out in the street. But eventually they grow up and understand the problems, the dangers. And they become capable of making these decisions for themselves. And I think there's a real sense in which the Old Testament believer lived in a time where they needed to be told in strict terms. But the New Testament believer who believes In Christ and has the scriptures grows in to the maturity and the freedom to make those decisions for himself or herself and without getting into it too deeply I think what we need to see here is there's Platonic thought that Plato part of his philosophy was that spiritual things are good are pure are excellent material things the body That's sinful. That needs to be rejected. And it's dangerous when Christianity brings Platonic thought into their spirituality. Uh, We call that dualism, pitting the body and material things against the soul and spiritual things. I think churches that teach that sexual relations should be avoided even in marriage unless it's for procreation. That's, that's a good example of horrible theology. The Desert Fathers, the monastic movement were all ultimately failures. A lot of times those who tried to avoid the flesh ended up focusing upon it and spent much of their time confessing their confessions. But God created our bodies. And he called all things good at creation. And we died to this world. We can interact with material things without worrying about being polluted. Yes, we want to use wisdom because everything can be used in damaging ways. But things are just things. Is there anything in American Protestantism that's more ridiculous, I think, than preaching against playing cards. That's always been my, like, what? I never understood. I understand gambling is wrong. Losing your family's paycheck and savings. And, I mean, my, my grandfather was a gambling addict. Uh, his family was ruined because of that. But to say that a deck of cards or a pair of dice are the devil's tools... Is a bit much. A deck of cards are just plastic rectangles with numbers and shapes on them. That's all. They don't automatically get infused with demonic powers as they leave the card factory. I grew up playing hearts and 500 and rummy and spades and rook and all those games and... (sighs) Those were great family times when I was a kid, and they're great family times now as a father. But somewhere, we're, I I just, it's beyond me why that that is uh, a horrible thing. Um, Whatever you think of celebrating Halloween, a child's Halloween costume is just fabric and plastic. Wine is just grapes that are fermented and processed and put in a bottle. None of this stuff has demonic powers that will start controlling you if you touch them. Do you see what Paul's getting at? I I may be taking it a little extreme, but I'm trying to make the point that things are just things. Of course, it's how we use them, but they're not automatically wrong in themselves. I can't wait to see my inbox later this week. Somebody suggested, just have everybody line up and step on their toes. All right, good. Um, my dad likes to tell the story of his, his aunt, my great aunt, used to say this blessing before they ate when they were all together as a family. Oh Lord, it's so wonderful that we can all be together today. I look forward to the time we will all be in heaven except Mary because she smokes. That was my grandmother. Mary, the smoker. And I understand that smoking is not the healthiest thing for you. She actually died in her 40s of cancer. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. Why are material things not that big a deal to the believer? Well, I think Paul sets out a very important theological point in verse 20. Here's what he says. We were dead and then we died. Well, It doesn't exactly say that. But what does that mean? The Bible says that we were dead in our sins, spiritually dead before we knew Christ. But as to be made alive in the Spirit, we had to die with Him and be raised again. You didn't die on the cross, but through Christ, because Christ did that for you, you died with him. And what Paul is saying is, in that, you died to being a citizen of the world, and you rose as a citizen of heaven. In Christ, we died to sin, to ourselves, and to the law. And we are alive to Christ and following him in faith. We don't live in bondage to sin and blind obedience to our passions and wills, or to the strict requirements of the law. We are in Him. You are contradicting your true citizenship if you submit to the requirements of this world. And I love verse twenty-three, where Paul says these things. See, the severity of the body. They, they seem to have wisdom, but they're of, actually of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If you've seen the movie Chocolat, a little older movie, in the movie, an, an outsider, a woman, Juliette Binoche, the name of the actress, she, she moves to a European village and starts a chocolate shop. But it's told that people shouldn't be eating chocolate during Lent, Lent season up and and Alfred Molina plays the man the mayor I think who is just dead set against this he believes this this devil woman who's brought this chocolate shop and she's this sensual woman. we have to get rid of her and she's a bad influence and then one night in the middle of Lent he breaks into her shop to destroy it and then he tastes it and he starts eating and before you know it, he has eaten himself into a sugar coma and passed out in the middle of all of her chocolate displays. And the, the villagers come and find him. And I just, I don't remember much about the movie. I haven't watched it recently, but that, mo- that scene has always stuck in me as a great illustration of that verse. You can try imposing all these strict rules and severity on other people but the flesh is much stronger go ahead and give up stuff for Lent it's a, it's a good exercise actually but don't tell us we have to give it up with you um, at some point I'm going to balance this right and tell you how to stop sinning how to, um, I'm going to tell you how great spiritual disciplines and those things are right not really. Um, you have to come back next week for that. <laughs> or just read ahead. <laughs> read ahead in Colossians 3 because it really answers. I don't want to get into that today. Let's be defensive today. I want my spirits, my Christian freedom and don't tell me what not to do. Actually, what's really fascinating is go back and look. I can actually put it in your your outline look at what paul says in 1 corinthians 9:27 but i discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others i myself should be disqualified what that sounds so parallel so similar to what he's not saying here doesn't it Here, in in Colossians, he's saying severity of the body, no value in stopping the passions of flesh, and we shouldn't let anyone make us feel disqualified. And yet, in Corinthians, he says he disciplines his body so that he doesn't get disqualified. What can you, I mean, how contradictory is that? I think the answer here is that rules and severity imposed from others aren't going to work. Whereas in Corinthians, Paul is describing his own convictions derived from studying the scriptures and following Jesus. That's a huge difference. I think that's a big key to this whole passage. I believe that all of us are called to determine how we handle our Christian freedom as well as determine what benefits us in our Christian life to defeat sin and become more Christ-like. For those over 21, if you decide that alcohol is okay without getting drunk, that is within your Christian freedom. And if people don't agree, you cannot let that judge you. Now we be, we're sensitive, I, I don't drink wine around the teens. Um, again, we talked about the weaker brother, or just not wanting to make other people stumble. But we, we can easily impose any kind of restrictions, any kind of way you're trying to avoid sin. You know, if we say, hey, you need to drop your cable subscription because that's the best way to fight the flesh. Well, that may be a good thing for you. Maybe a good thing for me. That's not going to be everybody's prescription. Listen, if you need an accountability partner, all the, all the uh, officers do. If you want to fast and pray there's a whole bunch of good things you can do you need to determine if that's gonna work for you but don't pass judgment on those of us who don't join you and please don't make that the standard for Christian living the problem is not when people have personal convictions I mean I applaud people who have strong Sabbath convictions even when they're different from mine so many areas of Christian freedom. Your convictions may be different from mine or the other pastors or one of the elders. Drinking, schooling, politics, entertainment choices. There's so many areas where the scriptures, I think, leave it to you to discern. And that's good and that's healthy and we have a lot of diversity of opinion about those things in this church. The problem is when we judge each other's Areas of christian freedom and we confuse those convictions with essentials of the faith Because jesus alone has the right to judge Whether your motives are holy true growth and maturity comes from the lord Now I, I suppose I need to make a disclaimer at some point uh, kids You're not allowed to go home and say Pastor Dorsch told me I could figure out my own areas of Christian freedom. So I'm not following your rules, mom and dad. Because they might exercise their Christian freedom in cutting your allowance and doubling your chore load. So do that at your own risk. We are speaking to uh, those who determine their own rules. If you are under authority, you do not have that freedom. There are a few stories of a man who lived a long time ago who was judged and condemned for being too free in his life. He ate and drank so much that people accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. He hung out with the wrong kind of people. He was so far from what people thought of as an ascetic religious person. And yet at one point, That man claimed to be a very important religious figure. Even more than that, his claim was that he was God himself. And he even backed that up by turning water into wine, which is a bizarre twist for someone who's supposed to be keeping people from having too much fun. Jesus was no ascetic. He loved a good time, and worldly people felt comfortable around him. And yet, never sinned, never brought others to sin. And Christ doesn't call us to separation and a lifestyle at odds with our neighbors. He prayed for us to be in the world but not of the world. And that takes a lot of discernment. I remember a pastor on one of our mission trips telling us that it's, it's so easy to keep the rules. It's so comforting to have that list of rules. But a trained monkey can keep a list of rules, was his point. It, it's a lot harder to have to figure it out on your own, to truly discern what God calls you in each situation. You need to engage your brain. You need to study the scripture. Have a prayer life that seeks the guidance and direction of the Lord. I think genuine sanctification, growth in our Christian life takes place as we ask the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we love people and use things rather than what we usually do as we love things and use people. True holiness comes from walking with the Holy Spirit in the midst of a messy, unholy world. Not attempting to be holier than thou. Not attempting to have imposed our convictions on everyone else around us. Ultimately, ultimately, Christ is the answer to each of the three kinds of false teaching that that Paul represents here. The Judaizer needs to see that Christ is the true substance, not the law. The mystic needs to see that they are being distracted from Christ and upsetting the body of believers. And the legalist needs to realize how much Christ has freed us from worrying about being stained by the world because we died to it through him. And ultimately, we look to Christ and his salvation on the cross, his taking on our sins on his own person, dying on the cross for us so that God punished him who was under the law, who kept the law perfectly on our account. Nothing we do adds to that salvation. And our Christian life is now lived in thanksgiving to Him, looking to Him and His Word for direction in how to live our lives. Let's pray. Father God, this is a tough teaching. we know that there are so much teachings in the scripture that we need to avoid sin that we need to be a holy people and yet that looks a little different from for everyone there are obvious commands in scripture and you say that following you to love you is to follow And to obey and yet yet you leave so much in areas that we have to figure out what benefits us and the early church seemed to be very confused at times by teachers who came in and and presented unbiblical ideas and things that distracted them from the main teachings of the gospel. And we have plenty of that still around today. Lord, teach us how to understand the continuity of the Old and the New Testament, but but why and how we've been freed from the legal, ceremonial demands that you placed on the Israelites in the Old Testament. But to understand we live now in Christ. Lord, that we are freed from having to find special visions that will give us secret knowledge. Lord, that we are freed from the strict rules that others find, perhaps find helpful in their lives, but feel, free us from feeling condemned. When we don't keep those same rules. But in all things, Lord, may our rule be love. Love for you. Love for the body of Christ. Love for all those outside the body. To not offend the weaker brother, but to not see our faith judged and condemned in a different gospel, substituted in the true gospel's place. Lord, help us to be a people of your word, striving after you. We ask all these things in the holy name of Jesus, who took our sins and freed us from the curse of sin, death, and the law. Amen. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.